Welcome to another episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. Uh, you can find my work at joehaggerty.substack.com. Uh, sign up for a premium membership and you'll get all of my Bruins and NHL content sent straight directly to your inbox via the Pucks with Hags newsletter. Uh, lots of good stuff there. You can also find my work at bostonsportsjournal.com. I file a column after every single Boston Bruins game. There's always some good insight, good analysis going on right there. So check that out as well. Great stuff for all the sports, uh, whether it's Bedard and Giardi with the Patriots. Awesome Celtics and Red Sox coverage. We got the, all the bases covered for you there. So check out bostonsportsjournal.com. Um, I also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Um, if you're too busy uh, to cook right now, if you're running around going from hockey rink to hockey rink with your kids playing sports like I am right now, um, if you're just caught up in the, the day-to-day and you want something you can throw in the microwave for two minutes and have it be done for dinner and it's dietitian approved chef-made, uh, you want to go to Factor Meals. That is the place. Go to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off of your first box. Uh, let's also give some love to FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. The app is super easy to download. Uh, get into it now while uh, the NFL playoffs are still going on and the NBA and the NHL is in full swing. Uh, spreads, player props, over-unders, so much more at FanDuel Sportsbook. Pretty much anything you could want is over there. Uh, just jump on the app and get it going. Uh, visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off uh, – Everything that's going on, football, basketball, hockey. Uh, All right, thank you, FanDuel Sportsbook. Okay, uh, this is the 59th episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. I am flying solo today. We are going to do a mailbag episode. Um, I will get you quickly up to date with the uh, latest and greatest news. Uh, The Bruins won 6-2 over the Flyers on Saturday afternoon. They go into the All-Star break 31-9-9. They are the first team in the NHL. Uh, to hit the 70-point mark this season. They did that on Saturday afternoon with the win. Um, really impressive. Uh, they kind of slept walk through the first seven or eight minutes, and then all of a sudden Pasta scored a goal in the first period, and they just went nuts. Uh, they ended up going up 5 nothing. kind of hit coast uh, after that, ended up winning 6-2, to 7-1-2 uh, and two in their last 10 games going into the break. Uh, well ahead in the Atlantic Division, well ahead in the Eastern Conference, battling with team uh, teams like uh, Vancouver, um, and Winnipeg for supremacy as far as the number one seed in the uh, entire NHL goes. And really, since uh, the holiday break, since Christmas, I think the Bruins have been playing their best hockey of the season. Uh, hit a higher gear offensively where they're getting more uh, depth and more scoring from more different places. Um, obviously, Pasternak had a couple of goals today, but you know Van Riemsdyk scores. Uh, Danton Heinen scores. You saw a few other players get involved. Uh, Hampus Lindholm was a plus five in the game today. Um, you know, he bounced back from a couple games ago when he had a bad pinch in the third period that uh, helped cost them a game. Um, and overall in the month of January, I think Hampus Lindholm has been his best month this season. So his game is, is turning in the right direction. Uh, Linus Allmark was outstanding early in the game when the Bruins just didn't have it before they started scoring. Uh, so he goes into the break feeling good about his game as well. Jeremy Swayman, obviously, uh, his play speaks for itself uh, going to the uh, NHL All-Star weekend along with David Pasternak and Jim Montgomery. So 
Hard to find a lot of fault with what's going on with the Boston Bruins right now. They're kind of in that uh, everything is awesome sort of uh, mode uh, with the way that they're playing right now, just winning, piling up points, uh, basically sustaining the lead that they had and improving on it. I mean, they, they are, you know, they were what, 14, one and three um, back in November. Um, and I think everybody agreed that they weren't playing like a team that had that gaudy of a record. Uh, they're actually playing at the level where they could have a record like that. And they're playing at a level that befits a team that could win the president's trophy. Wouldn't that be amazing if that happens two years in a row uh, for this Boston Bruins team? And they do it uh, the year after Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci retired. So just uh, a lot of positives with the way they finished up strong going into that all-star uh, weekend, all-star break weekend. Uh, with wins over Ottawa and Philly on the road uh, to finish it off. And the way that they they closed it out today was impressive to me. You know, a Saturday afternoon matinee in Philly, uh, that could have been the kind of game that a team that is in a uh, prime spot as far as the playoffs go, they could have written it off and started thinking about their uh, catching their flights to the Bahamas or wherever else they're going, or Pasternak could have started thinking about, you know, what he's going to do in Toronto at NHL All-Star Weekend. And it, it could have really been, uh, one of those instances where they just weren't thinking at all about what was happening on the ice and staying in the present. Instead, Pasternak leads the way. Everybody else follows. Pavel Zaka was outstanding in that game as well. Zaka, JVR, and uh, Pasternak were all playing together, and they were excellent as a line. Um, so, you know, a lot of really impressive things that you really can't be too critical of what's going on there. Uh, the only interesting notes and maybe down notes uh, coming out of that game were just uh, the players that couldn't play in that game. Jake DeBrusque uh, just generally banged up, uh, nothing specific. Uh, probably, you know, he's played a lot, so he probably needed to, uh, you know, uh, give him an extra day uh, before uh, the NHL All-Star break. It would it would help him. Uh, so he didn't play. Uh, Matt Potra was scratched. That was, you know, par normal right now. I think he's going to sit and play and sort of be back and forth and they're not going to overtax him uh, physically. But the one that's really a concern is Derek Forbort um, did not play uh, Saturday against Philly may have aggravated what was bothering him and what caused him to miss like a couple of months um, in an injury. They were trying to rest and let calm down so he could play again and play at a high level. The fact that he's battling with an injury like this in the middle of the season and it's not really getting better and it's getting aggravated is is a warning sign and it's trouble. And it continues to make me believe that they need another defenseman, and another big, strong, nasty defenseman uh, to add to the mix of what they already have. And I say this with full acknowledgement that Brandon Carlos playing a little nastier on defense. He's playing with a little more of an attitude. He's playing a little more surly. Uh, he's really playing along with his size and his shutdown role, he's playing with uh, the kind of style and the kind of nastiness that can make him uh, go to the next level, uh, being a shutdown D, being a stay-at-home D, being a guy that you know prides himself on blocking shots, killing penalties, uh, stopping plays, all that stuff. If he adds a little mean at, at six foot five, 220 pounds or whatever he is uh, around the net, um, that makes him even more valuable to the Boston Bruins and, you know, who he is in the team, the role that he plays and, and his role and his importance in the playoffs. It lessens a little bit their need to go out and get a guy like that. But I think given Forbort's general 
uh, question marks physically right now with his health. I think uh, that just adds to you having to add another player like that can kill penalties, block shots, be a six foot four, six foot five uh, deterrence. Maybe the guy that drops the gloves a little bit, certainly a guy that the other team's going to have to worry about uh, when they try to go to your net. I think they need another defensive element like that. You know, Jacob Middleton's a name that I know has been thrown around a lot and he got moved uh, a couple of years ago and he would have been a nice fit for the Bruins. Radko Gudis is another name you've heard uh, a little bit. And it's going to be interesting to see what Anaheim does. Uh, as far as trades go and as far as potentially moving anybody. Um, but I, I, somebody in that mold, I think when push comes to shove at the trade deadline, they're going to have to find somebody like that. But that's uh, that's about it as, as to what's going on right now. The Bruins are scattering to the four corners of the, uh, the world, uh, most of them going on break. Um, Patrick Gr- Brown got the lucky uh, winning lottery ticket. He got called up because of the injuries right before the NHL All-Star break, so I believe he does not have to go to Providence. Um as if with the NHL All-Star break, and he'll get to enjoy his vacation along with everybody else. Um, but they're going away. Uh, the Bruins will not be uh, practicing for, you know, the next uh, f- the next short term while they get ready for the NHL All-Star game. And um, yeah, everybody's going to f- start focusing on Toronto and the NHL All-Star weekend and the new skills challenge. And, you know, it'll it'll... It'll be fun because I think David Pasternak and Jeremy Swayman are very charismatic, likable, like fun-loving players. I think that's something the uh, the media will pick up on while they're there. And th- this really could be maybe Jeremy Swayman's coming out party uh, as far as the entire league goes as to, you know, what kind of a marketable player he can be, what kind of a star player he can be, how much he's a guy that uh, I think uh, his profile is going to get raised nationally as, as a really, like, fun-loving goalie that's good and is is a kind of a good soundbite and certainly an interesting story coming from Alaska. And I think this really could be uh, one of those uh, weekends that we look back on as uh, people view Jeremy Swayman a little bit differently coming out of NHL All-Star Weekend as they did going in. You know, he has the potential, I think, to to sort of uh, ride that hype train a little bit. Now, NHL All-Star Weekends are never built for goalies. It's never a goalie showcase uh, they kind of take a backseat to everything and just hanging on for dear life for the most part. But I, I think he's the kind of guy that uh, may be able to, you know, uh, maximize this uh, experience as he does with everything. Uh, all right. So this is a mailbag episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. We're going to answer some of your questions. Uh, as always, hit my Twitter account, Hacks with Hags, and use the hashtag Pucks with Hags. If you ever want to ask me a question or have it in the mailbag, um, because I do these maybe once a month or so. I want to answer all your questions. Uh, sometimes I grab Facebook comments that I think would be cool questions. I certainly get plenty of Facebook on my Facebook fan page, which is also Pucks with Hags. I uh, get longer form questions uh, that I'll also include in here. So uh, let's start off with the first one. This is from Ryan J7800 on Twitter. Could you see Sweeney trading Patra for Elias Lindholm? Swayman is obviously going to get a massive contract, 6.5 plus AAV. This offseason, will it be with the Bruins or another team? Swayman's not going to go to another team. Uh, he is still a restricted free agent. I think he is going to get signed. I think he is going to get paid, and he's going to get the money that he's looking for. And I think somewhere in the five to six range, I think, is is definitely realistic. And I think it's definitely uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be too much more than that, given this is just, you know, this is one season that he's having right now. And there's still a limit as to how many games he's going to play with Linus Allmark around, you know, he's not going to hit 60 plus games uh, that he's going to play this season. So uh, there's still going to be some things I think he's going to have to prove as far as 
sustaining it over a long period of time, proving that he can do it with everything on his shoulders, which it would be much more on his shoulders if he had a guy like Brandon Bussey backing him up instead of uh, Linus Allmark sharing the workload with him. So I think all these things uh, w- will play into it being a little less um, than you would expect. He's not going to get paid like a, you know, a Vesna trophy winning franchise goalie that's been playing 65 games a season. That's just not going to happen because he doesn't have that resume yet. But he will obviously is going to get as much as he can and he should. I think he realized it's now a business after going through arbitration and um, that he should get what his worth is. And I think he will get it. And I think it's going to be with the Bruins. I don't think they want him to go anywhere. And I don't think he wants to go anywhere. Just listen to how much he loves being a part of the team as much as he knows it's a, a business as well. I think they'll figure it out. Um when push comes to shove, uh, could I see Tween- Sweeney trading uh, Potra for Elias Lindholm? No. I don't think they need Elias Lindholm. Watch this team right now. Do you really feel like they need a center? Charlie Coyle's on a pace for like 30 goals, 65 points. Um, they, they Put it this way. I, do I think they need a top-line center? No. I don't think they need a number one C Um because of the way Charlie Coyle has played, the way he stepped in, uh, he's putting up Bergeron-esque numbers offensively in a number one center role. He's playing in all situations. He's doing it a little differently than Patrice Bergeron did, uh, but he's doing it in a much more consistent way than he ever had before. Uh, and is a huge factor in everything that's gone down for the Bruins this season, how good they've been. And I, I you know, I'm beginning to get tired of hearing Elias Lindholm's name because I think we, we might have a better player in Charlie Coyle here right now, uh, the way that he's playing. And I, I just don't think that's a need. I, I think one thing they do need, um, <clears throat> and we'll get to it a little bit later on, is they they certainly might need a center, maybe a, some kind of a bottom six center, fourth line center type guy uh, that can win faceoffs. They need somebody that can come in here and you know, be a, be a guy that can go in and get defensive zone draws when you need to win the puck and get it out of the zone, win an offensive zone faceoff when, when it's, it's desperation time and you're trying to score a goal at the end of games. Uh, somebody, you know, the Patrice Bergeron taking 28 faceoffs a game uh, out there to take draws in all situations. And then they would go hop off the boards when he got a chance and, and the other center would go on that kind of a specialist sort of thing. Uh, they need that kind of a guy. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that means it's a number one center. It's Elias Lindholm. I think they can find somebody else that's a lot cheaper than that um, to play that kind of role and be that kind of guy. Um, but I just, at this point, and I've been very consistent about this this year, I don't see Elias Lindholm as a big time need on this team as much as I thought he was at the beginning of the year. I don't see uh, needing a number one center given the way that Charlie Coyle has played. I, I just don't think it's it's necessary. I don't think it's something they have to have. Um, I don't think it's, you know, they prove they can win without it. I, I And obviously it's a different animal come playoff time. But I think what you see is a team that needs another defenseman, that needs another frontline guy, that needs another guy that uh, could be a, a mean, nasty shutdown guy and play top four minutes and, um, you know, be somebody that other teams have to worry about in the D zone come playoff time and are afraid to, you know, uh, go into a dark alley with that kind of a guy. I think the Bruins could use one of those. Um, and Dmitry Orlov was kind of one of those guys while also having the puck moving aspect of it last year. But he, you know, I remember him taking out Kevin Miller in the playoffs a few years back when the Bruins and Capitals played uh, with a massive uh, hit in the neutral zone, clean uh, open ice hit where he just demolished Kevin Miller. 
you need somebody like that. You know, you need somebody that's going to put the fear in the other team and is a good enough defenseman that they can play 20 plus minutes a night. Uh, and that's kind of a tall order as far as checking all those boxes. But I think it's also a, a more doable trade uh, from an asset perspective, from an execution perspective of actually getting the player than trying to get a guy like Elias Lindholm that is going to be probably the top center on the market, um, the most expensive uh, piece you could go out and get from a seller like Calgary, uh, and somebody that uh, some other um, team is going to massively overpay for. I'm just not sure also that Elias Lindholm would factor into Bruins' future plans beyond this season. And I think if they're going to bring somebody in and they're going to give up good assets for him, I think it's somebody that they're going to want beyond this current season. It's just not going to be a stopgap thing. So The NFL season is wrapping up. But there is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text hope NY in New York. Um, I know I don't, I, I'm not going to trade a, a future top six, top nine center in Matt Patra. That's going to be able to do the job for you for a long time and be an affordable asset and be a very good player for you that you draft and developed for a guy like Lindholm that you don't necessarily need. I just, I'm, I don't think the Bruins, the Bruins are in such a good place right now. Don't trade future assets anymore, especially this season. Uh, to try to go all in continuously every single year. you got to replenish sometimes. And I think this is a year that even though they're in the number one spot, even though it looks like the East is kind of wide open, I think they need to avoid that temptation to trade their top prospects, to trade future first-round picks, second-round picks um, for assets they don't necessarily need. You went overall in last year. didn't work. I think you should ride the, the team that you have, fix a couple of areas, uh, specific spots that aren't going to be huge cost uh, additions 
fourth line guy, uh, top four defenseman that's more of a stay-at-home guy uh, that's going to help you in the playoffs. Those kind of things aren't going to cost you as much as as Elias Lindholm would. All right, uh, let's get to the next one. And this is a good, this is a throwback one. I like this. In the Bruins' centennial year, I like us walking down memory lane a little bit here. Joe Thornton having, and this is a little bit uh, dated. This came out of my Facebook inbox, so this might have been sent a few weeks ago. Uh, Joe Thornton having his number retired by San Jose brings back memories of what I thought was the stupidest trades in NHL history. As I recall, Mike O'Connell was the GM. Yes, you recall correctly. I remember the the bees giving up their young superstar. It was an out of nowhere trade. I recall how absurd the minimal value the bees got back was as one league GM put it. When you trade a young talent like that, you might want to let the rest of the league know and see who gives you the best trade package. Mike O'Connell was an absolute disaster as a general manager and that's from Kevin Cassidy uh, via the Facebook fan page. First of all, I like the old school uh, rant. Uh, it, it brings me back to my early days covering the team when everybody was just like going after Harry Sinden and Mike O'Connell and, you know, uh, killing them for, for being too cheap at times to, to get the players that the Bruins uh, needed. And even after that wasn't the case anymore and they were spending to the cap, the Bruins still had that reputation um so it takes you back to your younger days as as somebody uh, around the Bruins even before I covered the team sort of what the typical fan gripe was uh for that team so thank you Kevin thank you for walking us down memory lane um I agree I think uh first of all I, I think in hindsight it was the right move trading Joe Thornton they decided when they traded Joe Thornton that they were going to build around Patrice Bergeron as their franchise center, as their number one guy. They believed in him as a young player. They felt like he was the guy that they wanted to build around, uh, that they could win a Stanley Cup with him as their franchise center. As it turns out, they were correct. Now, neither one was here in a, you know, in their uh, supervisory managerial role. Uh, obviously, Harry Sinden still an advisor, um, but n- neither one of them was in their front office role when they won the cup and when they finally, uh, that decision bore fruit, uh, but it was the right decision. And Joe Thornton never won a cup with anybody. So they were proven right as far as that goes. The problem is, and I had the same problem with the Tyler Sagan trade. The problem is when you trade a high first round pick star type player that is, you know, got uh, a, an all-star reputation in the league or better, not only do you need to shop them around a little bit to get the best offer, you need to get first, second round picks. You need to get high draft picks where you can draft your own players, decide who you want, target those players, and bring them in. And they didn't do that with the Joe Thornton trade. They didn't do that with the Tyler Sagan trade. Instead, they got um, prospects or NHL players that were already in the organization that they traded with. No futures as far as draft picks go. And as much as I love Marco Sturm and I cherish the Marco Sturm face while it was going on here in Boston, they didn't get enough from San Jose. They should have shopped around to a few teams, saw what they could get for Joe Thornton, a guy that ended up winning the Hart Trophy that year and is a Hall of Fame player. Uh, They could have gotten more and they should have gotten at least a first round pick or two for Joe Thornton. Same thing, absolutely 100% without question for Tyler Sagan. Yes, they got a decent player in Riley Smith that they ended up trading. Um, you know, and they, they got some prospects, even though they didn't get the prospects they really wanted, they got some prospects in that deal, uh, didn't necessarily pan out. Um, 
And that's why I think you've got to get your first round pick so you can get your scouts in there and you can make your own selections rather than picking players from another organization. Uh, especially if you're holding on for certain players that you want, like Alex Chasen was a guy they really wanted from the Dallas stars and they didn't get him in that trade. I think uh, Matt Fraser was his name. I think was the guy they got instead who was a, a good AHL talent, but uh, didn't translate to the NHL. So uh, it would make a trade like that. A, you got to, make it known around the league uh and that can make it troublesome if word gets out that you're, you're shopping a player so i understand sometimes why you want to do it quickly but you got to at least shop them a little bit to make sure you're getting the best offer and you also got to get first round picks when it's like franchise type players like that what happened to uh, johnny beecher i thought he was doing pretty good as 4c that's from peter larley on twitter um this is an interesting one so um, Johnny Beecher got sent down uh, a week ago or so, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. Jesper Boquist got brought up. Um, it kind of raised eyebrows uh, that Boquist stuck around and he's been, you know, doing the job lately uh, while Beecher went down to Providence because Beecher had shown like he's pretty good face off guy. He would shown that he could kill penalties. You know, he he'd popped in a couple of goals. He'd been decent. But I think the problem became. Well, it's twofold. I, Jim Montgomery mentioned uh, a few weeks ago how he wasn't playing the fourth line much because there were players that uh, the, he, the according to their numbers, according to their, you know, everything that they have with their entire staff, they keep track of, you know, when players, uh, their play starts to drop off when they get up to certain amounts of minutes. And I've got to believe that Johnny Beecher was one of those players when the minutes went up, the play, uh, the level of play went down and the endurance just wasn't there. The cardio ability to, to maintain performance wasn't there uh, when they got above 10 minutes, when they got into the 11, 12, 13 minute range. And this is probably part of the reason that Jacob Lauko was always stuck at eight or nine minutes. And Oscar Steen was always stuck at eight or nine minutes because they had them with Beecher and the three of them were not getting over 10 minutes of ice time. And it was really starting to put a strain uh, as far as the ice time goes on all the other players, you know, Pasternak is playing sometimes 23, 24 minutes a night. Brad Marchand, 35 years old, going over 20 minutes of ice time a night. Um, uh, uh, Vizaka, Coyle, uh, players like that really uh, putting in a taxing amount of ice time, uh, especially in these dog days of January and February, where if you're riding your horses too hard now, that's going to take juice out of their tank come playoff time in April, May, June. Uh, so I think you got to be care very careful about how hard um, you're you're riding some players as far as ice time goes right now. Uh, and as we've seen since Boquist came up and they've sort of mixed around the third and fourth line and taken pieces and mixed and matched and gotten really good results, actually. Um, you've seen Lauko go over 10 minutes, uh, like in that game against uh, the game against Philly, they, he was well over 10 minutes and Oscar Steen was well over 10 minutes and Boquist was well over 10 minutes. And like all those guys, Dan Heinen, uh, Trent Frederick. So I, I think what you're seeing now is there's a little more balance and there's a little more of a trust to play the fourth line more that you're getting um, good performance out of it. And I don't know that that was there with Beecher. And I think it really started to affect them. And I think that probably factored in to him going down to Providence is he wasn't quite ready to play 12 minutes a night at the NHL level with the speed intensity and everything else. And they need to work him up to get to that point. Um, and I, you know, that's me reading into the situation. That's me reading from 
what Jim Montgomery said, and that's me reading the Bruins' actions of what they've done. Nobody word for word told me Johnny Beecher was sent down because X, Y, and Z. I'm just connecting all the dots here and, uh, you know, coming up with the picture um, based on the information that we had. And I, I you know, I, I, I think it, it would may have been the right move. I, fourth line center is a really tough thing to be a rookie in the NHL and be a fourth line center. I think you've got to be a smart player. You've got to be a player that the team's going to trust in key situations. You've got to be an experienced player uh, to be able to deal with certain things when you're killing penalties and taking faceoffs. And I'm just not sure that trust is there. And it speaks in this plays into them, I think, needing to trade for a fourth line veteran center that can win faceoffs and is a little more comfortable in all these things and experience in all these areas. And maybe that's going to be a need come trade deadline um, based on this move. Uh, you know, I, I think still think Johnny Beecher's got a good future in front of him. I think he could even be a third line center more than a fourth line center, just if he can up the offense a little bit, but just based on, you know, his athleticism based on uh, his speed and size and the, the way he plays the game, I think he could project to eventually be in the top nine, but I think he needs to still work on some things in Providence and a half a year in the NHL in Boston. I think they kind of figured that out. So there's no shame in him going down. I don't think people should be upset about it. I think it's just part of his development track and they're getting better play. Let's face it out of Boquist right now. And, and I think it's helped strengthen the third and the fourth line, making that move as we've seen uh, them be able to play those lines more since they sent Beecher down, since the Boquist has kind of taken over. So uh, I'm, I'm, I understand fans love the prospects and you're going to ask questions. You think a guy was playing well, why is he sent down? I just think there was some uh, real reasons behind why they did it. All right. Uh, remember when Bruins fans hated, uh, and this is Brandon Carlo they were referencing, when his biggest issue was his defensive partner. I like Krug and Grizz, but both are kind of bad in their own end. Grizz has slowed the last couple of years. His skating was his biggest attribute now that it's starting to disappear. Krug was unbelievably talented offensively, but was never super fast and would get bodied easily. I'd love to see Carlo get a guy like Jacob Middleton as a D partner. Um, I agree. I, 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 first of all, I sung, I sang the praises of Brandon Carlo earlier. I think he's playing more physical. He's playing nastier. He took a nasty puck to the face. His cheek was all swollen after the game was over. He had a big cut, but he finished off his shift and he came back and finished the game. Uh, after he was done checking to make sure all the chiclets were there and the, they got whatever, uh, bleeding was going on inside his mouth taken care of, um, but I, I like him. I like Brandon Carlo a lot. I think he is a huge part of this team. I think he's a huge leader in that room. I think he's really evolved into who and what he is. And I think he's more comfortable with who he is as an NHL player now than he's ever been in his career. I think he's kind of reached that point of maturity and in, 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 as an NHL player where he realizes he belongs and he realizes that, you know, he, he adds a lot of value and, and he can have a lot of impact in games when he plays a certain way. And I think he's starting to understand the way the Bruins need him to play uh, as far as being a little bit nastier, a customer uh, in the D zone and around the net. And he's, he gets that. And I think he understands that they're going to need that come playoff time. I would love to see him uh, play with a guy like Jacob Middleton. I think there's a bunch of defensemen that I would love to see him play with where they could just go out there and be a shutdown pair that just kick the crap out of the other team's skill players and just wear them down around the net and just bang bodies and get them out. And I know you can't play 
the way Darian Hatcher used to killing people in front of the net and, and just being this massive dude that was just mean and nasty. Uh, but I still think you have to play that way to a degree. It's still hockey. Uh, if you're going to play defenseman, you still have to have a lot of that element. And I think that helps them close out teams in the third period. That helps them win one goal games. That's going to help them win in the playoffs. Uh, is not only having Brandon Carlo be more of that guy, but bringing in somebody else, especially if Derek Forbert is a, is a physical uh, question mark. So uh, I I do think, yes, uh, you're on the right track with the defenseman that you like. I do think at times maybe Brandon Carlo has taken criticism that's probably been more appropriately aimed at the, the partners he was with because they would always put him with a smaller defenseman that moved the puck, and a lot of the defensive stuff would fall on his shoulders. And he would also kind of leave the offense to them and not really fill in as much and be, uh, you know, the fifth attacker uh, in that trailer. And, and you know, a guy that was looking to create offense, it, he does that a little bit more now. And I think it's a nice balance that he has. Um, so they should keep that going. I, I you know, it, it's tough. Uh, Matt Grizzlick's a tough, um, it's a tough example right now of where do you put him? I've never been a fan of, of McAvoy and Grizzlick as a pairing. I just don't want to see Grizzlick, uh, if McAvoy is going to get paired up against the other team's top players and paired up in, in tough defensive situations. And Matt Grizzlick's not a guy I want to see in those kind of situations. Um, I, I think Carlo would be more effective if you put him with a bigger, stronger guy that was kind of mobile too. Um, but, you know, uh, I, in, in, in a third pairing, uh, do you put Matt Grizzlick with uh, a Derek Forbort? Uh, potentially, but I, I think also, you know, uh, Weatherspoon, I think factors into all this now. I think Parker Weatherspoon has played himself into a role on this team. Could Parker Weatherspoon be the guy that plays with Brandon Carlo and they become some kind of shutdown D? Maybe, you know, I, I it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing develops. And I think they're going to need some more time with Weatherspoon to see what they really have. And it's a good thing they've got a few weeks before the trade deadline because they can factor all this stuff in. Uh, but I do think regardless of how well Weatherspoon plays and what's going on here, they need another defenseman and they're going to make that move at the deadline to get one. Uh, Bruins need a center that can win a faceoff late in the game. They are horrible late in games. <laughs> That's from happy hour Healy. We kind of uh, already covered this one. I think we have seen times where the Bruins have lost big faceoffs late in games. Part of the issue when they were uh, giving up goals late in the third period to go to overtime was they were losing uh, faceoffs in the D zone that Patrice Bergeron would win over the years. And if Patrice Bergeron won the faceoff and they got the puck out of the zone, that would like automatically already avoid the situation that they found themselves in uh, because they lost the faceoff and because the puck was in their zone. Um, and that compounded, you know, the the lack of personnel, lack of experienced personnel that they had protecting those one goal leads. Um, so I agree. I, I think that, you know, there are like several guys out there you could go after like that um, that are, you know, fourth line types that are really good on faceoffs. Um, it's just a matter of targeting who you like, who's a good fit, you know, who's on the market and, and going out and getting them. But I think that, you know, I, my opinion, I think the Bruins actually have an easy to-do list at this trade deadline. I don't think this is going to be difficult for them. They don't have to chase after big ticket items. They're not going to have to give up a ton of stuff if they don't want to. They can even trade some players if they want to and get some assets back, whether it's Matt Grizzlick, maybe Jake DeBrusque. 
Um, you know, Linus Elmark, I don't think is going to get moved, but who knows if a team wants to severely overpay for a goalie, maybe you could do that too. Uh, although I think that's something the Bruins definitely don't want to mess with and don't want to do, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's a lot of great options for them if they avoid the temptation of chasing after the big shiny object and they just get the smaller items, uh, in the clearance rack that are actually going to help this team. And that's a good position to be in if you're Don Sweeney. All right, last question. They should have sold high on Olmark in the offseason. Now he's regressed like most of us expected and has a, a much lower value. And that's from Joseph Isidoro on the Facebook fan page. Do you really think Olmark has a much lower value than he did before? Played a great game in Philly today. Um, they don't win that game if he's not on his game and outstanding early in the game. Uh, his numbers are fine. I think it's it a save percentage, like 918, 917. Uh, his goals against are at like 2.8 range. Um, he's not playing at the Vesna level he did last year, but he's still like well above average and, and you know, the highest uh, quarter percentile of, of goalies around the NHL. And once you win the Vesna trophy, that's always on your resume. It's not like it goes away. He's still an all-star Vesna trophy winning goaltender. Um, the, the problem with Linus Allmark is the, the playoff thing. Now there's, there's two problems. The playoff reputation is growing that he can't do it in the playoffs uh, after the way he's performed the last couple of years. And that's not going to change until he actually does it in the playoffs and, and you know, proves people wrong. And uh, the endurance, the durability thing, uh, the ability to, you know, play more than 50 games in a year and, and be effective. I think there are question marks about him physically and mentally being able to, you know, carry a load that's more than 45 to 55 games or not even 55, 45 to 50 games. Um you know, for him to be able to have to, you know, get up, could he get up into the 60, 65 game range in a regular season and, and be a goalie that, you know, that a team is going to pace 5 million a year for that's going to be the number one guys and have all that stuff be on their shoulders. Um, that's the stuff that's going to affect his value, not his performance this year. I think it's been perfectly fine. Um, if they decided to trade him, I'm sure they would find takers. I think what the problem is, is the goalie trade market is never as good as you think it's going to be. You never get big value for goalies around the league because everybody thinks they can pick up a goalie off, you know, in their, their organization. If you put them in the right um, spot at the right time, they're going to perform for you. The kind of the Aiden Hill phenomenon. Everybody thinks they have an Aiden Hill or they can get an Aiden Hill pretty cheaply that could come in and do that if push came to shove rather than overpay for a guy like Linus Allmark, even though he's obviously got the credentials. Um, so, I, I I differ and I disagree with the overall notion of, of this email uh, and of this question. I still think uh, they're going to look to trade him in the summertime. I think they'll, you know, the, uh, they should get decent value for him. But I think if they want to sign Jeremy Swayman, if they want to give Brandon Bussey a shot, if they want to do a lot of these different things, it starts with Linus Omar getting traded and them getting some value back. They do need to get, trade some players away and bring back some assets prospect and draft pick wise to replenish some of what they've traded over the last couple of years. And it, it's going to be painful to trade some of these players away because uh, a lot of them have been fun over the years. Uh, the, if the Bruins trade all Mark, the goalie hug is gone. Um, and that's become such a marketable fun thing. And it gives, it gets the biggest pop from the crowd at the garden when they win at home. It really does. People love it. Um, so that stuff is, is tough to trade away. Same with Jake DeBrusque, if you traded him away or Matt Grizzlick or, you know, a lot of these players, uh, you know, if they've been here a long time, uh, fans are connected to them and they don't want to see them go. And I totally understand that they're good people. You know, nobody wants to see them go. Um, but I do think, um, you know, you have to look long and hard at it if you want to recoup some of your assets. 
All right. Uh, that is another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast in the books. Let me thank my sponsors real quick. Uh, Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Elevate your eating at home with their upscale surf and turf and surf and surf meal options like roasted garlic, filet mignon and shrimp, and Cajun spice shrimp and salmon. I had an Indian butter uh, dish uh, the last time I got Factor Meals, and it was outstanding. You just pop in the microwave, and it's done in two minutes. Uh, no fuss, no muss. So head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags, hags50 to get 50% off. Let's also thank FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. You would know this if you watched uh, the commercials with Kevin Weeks that are on the NHL Network all the time, which I love. The FanDuel Sportsbook commercials with the hockey people are outstanding. Chef's kiss. Um, so that's $150, $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network, then there's no better time to do it right now. With the last few weeks of the NFL playoffs coming up uh, with the NBA and the NHL in, in full swing and uh, NHL All-Star Weekend, you're going to be able to have all kinds of player prop bets if you want. Uh, the app is easy to use, so download it. And there's a, a lot of wide range of betting options like spreads, player props, over-unders, so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get her going. All right. Thanks a lot for sending in all your mailbag questions this week. Uh, we'll be back. Next week with a guest uh, for the Pucks with Hags podcast, where we'll break down the pre-All-Star uh, break uh, NHL season and the Bruins season and, and talk about what's to come. As always, thanks for listening to the Pucks with Hags podcast. We'll see you at the rink.